Hi, welcome to the Trauma Thrivers podcast. Delighted to have you with us. I'm Lula Bentz, your host, a psychotherapist, a trauma expert, and a survivor myself. Lovely to have you with us. The Trauma Thrivers podcast is for anybody who has been through any sort of developmental trauma or who has complex PTSD. This podcast aims to help educate, inspire and support those of us that are on a trauma healing journey. We've got stories, steps and various solutions to trauma to help you heal. If you'd like more information or tips or tools or strategies, please go to traumathrivers.com. You can also find this podcast on my YouTube channel, Lula Bent's Trauma Thrivers. If you'd like to join our community of thrivers, please find us on Facebook under Trauma Thrivers. Hello, Trauma Thrivers. Welcome. We brought it back for our very special guest tonight, who is the lovely Caroline Strawson, who I feel like I've known for years, bizarrely. Let's feel um, like it, it? Yeah, but it's just so nice to have you in the group and thank you. Oh, you're most welcome. I'm honestly, it's lovely to be here. Yeah, just lovely to have you here. And for those that don't know anything about you, do you mind just introducing yourself a little bit and what you do? Yeah, so as you say, I'm Caroline and um, I'm a um, therapist and coach. And I specialize really in narcissistic abuse, domestic, domestic abuse. They're the things that I would say I'm a bit of a trauma geek about really having experienced it myself over 10 years ago and not realizing I'd actually been in a abusive relationship. And so there was a lot of stuff that came up for me. I was in a huge amount of debt when I went through my divorce and then really completely retrained. And um, I used to be a podiatrist. That was kind of what my profession was originally, bizarrely. Oh, God. Yeah, and then just completely retrained because I realized as I was trying to heal myself and coming out of debt, you know, I lost my family home and I'd been diagnosed with complex PTSD, depression, anxiety. I was self-harming every morning, panic attacks. And I just couldn't seem to move forward. Um, You know, I was thinking I was doing all of the right things, um, but it just wasn't working. And I was just really stuck. And I think that language that I was saying to myself, you know, how could I be so stupid? I felt so much shame. Why did I stay for so long? All of those questions I kept asking myself and it was just really keeping me stuck. And I've always said, if it wasn't for my two children, I probably wouldn't be sat here right now, really, because I really was at rock bottom at that particular point in my life as well. Wow. Gosh. Yeah. I'm sorry that sounds really blooming difficult bless you it was, it was but again you know that was the opportunity for me to really explore you know why was I stuck why had I been in that relationship you know really looking at myself and trying to take ownership and responsibility of that not like not excusing what had happened to me obviously by my ex-husband but really looking at you know what what can I take from this how can I move forward what can I do as opposed to what I did for many many years was waiting for a knight on a white horse to come charging in and coming rescuing me sadly I kept waiting and nobody came (laughs) you know but the upshot was I kind of thought well I'm gonna have to rescue myself here and actually that was the biggest gift that I could give to myself yeah yeah I love that yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, and I think we do. I was brought up on fairy tale books, Disney, you know, happily ever after. And, and I think that's where for me being married with two children, we had a nice house and everything else. But I was at that point then reliant on my husband financially. And, and I was really caught in this. I knew I wasn't happy. Things had been going wrong, but I must keep my family together. I can't leave. I can't break that up because of course, you know, it should be happily ever after and you should keep your family together so I just completely lost myself really in my marriage to my ex-husband and just purely focused on being a mum really at that stage and that really is what gave me my sense of worth um, at that particular point um, because I felt like I had nothing else in my life really other than being a mother. How did you start to make the move, Caroline, then? Because if you hit rock bottom, then how did you start to clamber your way out? What was the process like for you? When did that realisation hit and was there a moment? Well, when I was um, when I was married to my ex, I suppose one of the, the one of the turning points that I always remember, really. And, I, and when I look back, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing when we look back, isn't it? Yeah. And I even remember on my wedding day wondering if I was doing the right thing. But being the people pleaser that I was, I thought, no, 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 I need to, everybody's here now. I have to go through with all of this. So obviously mm-hmm. got married and my husband worked away from home a lot. So that really created this whole roller coaster really where he was away for a period of time and I focused on being a mom and then when he came back things were really rocky but then he'd go away again so it wasn't like it was sort of consistently bad so to speak it was kind of this roller coaster and this went on for years and then it got to the stage when I was six months pregnant with my daughter, actually, I found out my husband was having an affair. And of course, at that particular point, I was pregnant and I thought, oh, my God, yeah, I couldn't even go out and get drunk or anything, you know. And really from that moment, I would say is where a real light went out within me. I felt really trapped, but I'd got my children and I needed to be a good mom. I needed to keep my family together, the happily ever after. Society would judge me. You know, I don't want to be a single mom with my children from a broken home. So there was a lot of judgment I was putting on myself about stuff to do. So I just literally threw myself into being a mom. And, you know, from that moment when I was six months pregnant with my daughter, that for me, our relationship was over. Um, but I still kept trying. I kept thinking, I wonder if we could turn it around. And again, we'd have this roller coaster and however much I seemed to try. And of course he would try for a bit and then it would change and then something else would happen. And there'd be just one thing and another. I just completely lost who I was. You know, every time I would try and bring anything up, I would be told I was too sensitive, not this again, you're being a drama queen. And all of these sentences that were being said to me, which I didn't realize at the time were gaslighting, I would then try and make better. And so over the years, and it was years, you know, over those years, up until probably it was 2009, and my mum passed away very very suddenly that year my daughter was was one and and really again I was I suppose focusing on my dad he lives close to me so I knew my marriage wasn't great my mum had passed away so a lot of loss um but still trying to keep my family together and then a year after my mum passed away it wasn't even me that ended our marriage it was actually my husband he came home he he was working away a lot and he came back and he said um um 
and he kept doing this he kept saying I'm going to go to work early and um, just tell the kids I've got to go early and of course I was doing that I was abiding in some respects because when he wasn't there it felt safer in some respects because I could just focus on being a mum and then when he would go to work and then he'd come back and on this particular day I remember he said um, I am leaving and he was being really serious this time and actually saying he was leaving and I just remember I remember it was a Saturday and um, and I said yes you are and, I, and he said well just tell the kids I'm, I'm going to work early and I said no not this time we need to tell them and my daughter was in bed she was having a nap and I just remember him telling my son and my son was not quite six and he just fell to his knees and was like no like this it was heartbreaking and he just left he literally left and even from that moment, he, he has seen the children, but not a lot. And he isn't massively in their lives, so to speak. Not anything because of me stopping him. It's, it's his choice at the end of the day. And when I eventually came out of that relationship, I remember on the Monday spending the day on the phone to kind of, you know, the gas company, the electric company thinking, how the hell am I going to survive now? Because, of course, I was financially reliant on my ex-husband as well. I was working very part time as a podiatrist, just doing some home visit patients. And I thought, I don't know how I'm going to survive. And I was so worried about all of that. Yeah. And that coming week, finding out and looking and thinking, oh my God, we're in over 70,000 pounds worth of debt here. 23 in my name, how's this happened? And it was really scary then to think, oh my God, I am a single mother in over 70,000 pounds worth of debt. My ex-husband has gone off somewhere, don't even know where, don't even know what he's doing. He's not really seeing the children. And I felt really, really scared. And I remember um, having some therapy at the time then and you know, she diagnosed me with having complex PTSD, which was pretty good, actually, that she knew about that. Yeah. I had depression, anxiety. Every day for me would be sitting, I'd wake up before the children. And I remember always sitting on, on the bathroom floor in the house we were in, literally with the end of the toothpaste scoring the tops of my thighs. And the pain of that was some kind of, and again, I understand it now, but it was like a distraction almost. I could focus on the pain on my thighs as opposed to the pain of feeling this worthless woman who had lost it. You know, my mum wasn't there and everything else. And then as that, that time progressed, you know, I'd have bills coming through the door. I'd put them in the bin, didn't want to open them, completely buried my head in the sand. For me, getting through the day was the box ticked. It wasn't about anything else. It was literally survival. And as I was then going through all of that in April 2013, I actually had my family home repossessed as well. That was probably like that turning point for me was about probably around that time because I remember feeling okay I'm 40 this year I was 40 in the June of um, that year of 2013 and I thought okay I can either sit in this and stay like this and because I kept saying to myself that's it he's had the best years of my life it's downhill now that's it you know all, all of that negative language that I was saying to myself or I could kind of think well hold on I didn't know how but I can try and do something, I don't know what, but we'll do that. And that's really set me off on this journey then of exploration. I realized um, my, my therapist at the time had said, go and Google narcissist. And I my version of what a narcissist was, I thought, that's not really my ex. I mean, you know, he, he liked, he changes his clothes a lot and I know he likes his reflection, so to speak. But I, I thought, no, no, you know, I don't think he is. And I Googled it and I was like, 
oh my God. It was just like this light bulb. I was going, oh my God, this is him. This is him. And that really became really a deep fascination around the subject and really looking at it, completely retraining in what I was doing because I was finding things that I was doing wasn't working. Yeah. Um, so I kind of became my own patient in some respects of working on myself. And really seeking out then the best types of therapies and coaching and training in them so that I could then go off and help others, not spend a minute longer than I did, because it took me a good few years to do all of that really as well. And really, that's what I do. I kind of completely retrained. I obviously, you know, built up a business around this now and specialize in narcissistic and domestic abuse now as well, because it is very, it's a word narcissist, isn't it? eye rolling oh everyone's ex is a narcissist now you know it's one of those words that can cause a lot of division and yeah. misunderstanding and it, it is overused and when we do overuse it sadly it really diminishes the experience of those who genuinely have experienced narcissistic abuse as well so there's a lot of complexities to it yeah what really interests me Caroline is when you said what you thought a narcissist was and then what you found out a narcissist actually is and I wonder if you can just expand on that a bit for the people that are listening because you know people might be having that that same conversation with themselves right now yeah and I think you know one of the things about a narcissist is in this I'm trained in something called internal family systems which is it which is an evidence-based part therapy and and having learned all of this, it all really, really made sense to me then because there was still an element and we see this online as well, where people say you can't cure a narcissist. And then you always have somebody else come up and say, you can't say that about another human being. We can't say that, you know, how do you know and everything else. And, and I get that to a point. So how I always teach it, how I always explain what a narcissist is, is really somebody, narcissists aren't born. They are not born that way. And again, I'm coming at this from a research perspective as well with kind of what we know and then bringing in that IFS lens um, too. So for me, narcissists aren't born. They are created in childhood, just like the majority of trauma is too. And what happens is just like all of us, when we go through childhood trauma, we create these, what we can call inner child wounds, which are very often those beliefs about ourselves that come from our interpretation and perception of other people's behaviors. So just like all of us, you know, I have inner child wounds, a narcissist has inner child wounds as well. The issue with a narcissist is when those inner child wounds are created for whatever reason, it could be that maybe they're a golden child and, you know, they're put on this pedestal, which might sound like a good family dynamic to be in where you're kind of, you know, that golden child, but actually there's a lot of pressure on you for that too. It could be from abuse. It could be from neglect. It could be from perception of unemotional parents and the whole host of complexities, you know, trauma to each individual is individual. But what happens is, is in childhood, if we have that kind of inner child wound, which in internal family systems we call an exile, which is normally that negative belief about yourself. And again, I'll use me as an example on one hand. So my inner child wound was I'm not good enough because my father was extremely unemotional. So my perception of my father's lack of emotion was it must be me. I'm not good enough. I must be more, do more. So I became this kind of people pleasing, high achieving perfectionist to try and get my dad to praise me, not realizing as the child, my dad was actually like that because of his childhood. I didn't know that. Obviously a child doesn't have that cognition. 
And it's actually the same with a narcissist. So for whatever reason in that individual's childhood, that individual then perceives that behavior in a certain way. And what happens is that individual then will also have protector parts coming up. Now the narcissist protector parts, and this is where I approach this quite differently really to others through the IFS lens. That individual's protective parts that show up, which we collectively call a narcissist, are more abusive protective parts. So when we think of a narcissist behavior where it can be manipulative, controlling, coercive, um, anger, it could be um, physical even, addictions, any of those, those protective parts of that individual are collectively called a narcissist. So for me, my collective um, representation of my protector parts are called codependency. Okay. So a narcissist is also a codependent too, that lack of self. So if we look at this clearly through an IFS lens, we all have that sense of self. So the essence of who we are when we are born, that true self, and that's someone who is confident, calm, creative, compassionate, curious, you know, it's who we are. All of us have that, that true self with us. Then in our childhood, we have these experiences that we perceive in a certain way that creates these inner child wounds, which we call exiles in internal family systems. And then with those exiles, which we don't want to feel, remember brain's number one job is to keep you safe, alive and move you away from the biggest perceived pain. So those inner child wounds that form then for that individual, which we call a narcissist, those inner child wounds become so painful to a narcissist, that individual system then has these protector parts coming up to distract, to soothe, to minimize those wounds that that individual has. And collectively, because they are abusive protector parts, we call a narcissist. And then the parts that show up, say for someone like myself, things like people pleasing, perfectionism, high achieving, and then as I got older, self-harm, um, all of those protector parts, collectively we would call codependency. Now the issue with a narcissist is, if I then went, say, even to my ex-husband or to a narcissist as such with those abusive protector parts and tried to talk and say, look, there's something beyond that. There's some kind of inner child wound here. There's some childhood trauma there. The likelihood is that they would turn around and say, no, the only reason I am behaving like this is because of you. If you weren't like that, I wouldn't have to behave like that. So the issue, if you think about it, say from a codependent and a narcissist perspective, remember the, the protector parts that we collectively call, a codependent will, will take ownership and responsibility and recognize, okay, yes, there might be a wound. Yes, I can work on that. If you say that to a narcissist, their protector parts become such a strong sense of their self. It becomes a false sense of self. You can never get beyond to work on that exile, that inner child wound. It's not a case that I wouldn't love to come and, you know, send the narcissist my way. I would love to help them, but they have to take ownership on, and responsibility for us to get beyond all of that. And the issue is they just won't. They just won't go beyond any of that. You know, they would always say, I'm behaving like this because of you. I wouldn't have to do that if you didn't do that. Because the pain of the narcissist, and I know this, narcissists have deep trauma. 
the pain of that is so great to their system, their protector parts are literally like a shield around it. You can never get beyond all of that. That's why narcissists will present with those protector parts, highly destructive protector parts too, to try and distract away from what their wounds are. Now, of course, that doesn't excuse their behavior because abuse is abuse. But yeah. when we can understand it from this perspective, I really like this standpoint because I got to the stage when I started to really understand all of this. And when I sort of look at my ex-husband, I didn't want to be filled with anger towards him that was my protector part anger would was my protector part to distract me away from my not feeling good enough in a child wound the exile I now sit in a place when I say think of my ex-husband coming from a place of self-leadership really recognizing okay I can really explain and understand why he behaved the way that he did because I know what his childhood was like I know what protector parts he now have to distract away from his core inner child wound it does not ex excuse his behavior absolutely doesn't excuse his behavior but because I can now understand and explain and see with compassion it means i absolutely no his behavior was no reflection of me i'm not receiving his behavior coming from my inner child wound with my protector parts then coming up he's still in his protector parts when he communicates with me but i'm coming from a place of self-leadership so i don't need to react or have one of my parts showing up to distract me away from what my inner child wound is then as well so when we can look at it through this IFS lens, we can still be trauma informed and understand that there is core root cause, you know, inner child wounds, childhood trauma, but you can't help somebody who doesn't take ownership of the subjective distress that they cause on others. You know, their reasons are because it's everybody else. So it's not a case of that you know, when we talk about this, I'm not compassionate about why a narcissist is the way they are and everything else. I can see there is trauma there, but I can't help somebody if they don't understand what that is. I can absolutely help those who have been victimized by a narcissist and help them see we can never change the narcissist behavior. So what we can change is, and this is where the power comes within, is we can change the wound, the protector part. So when they are then behaving like that towards you, you recognize it's no reflection of you and it doesn't trigger and activate what your core inner child wounds are. Brilliant. I, I, I'm just going to ask a quickie. Is there ever a chink in the armor of the protector parts of the narcissist? Does a narcissist ever get that moment of realization where... I don't know, for a moment they think maybe there is something about me that I need to look at. Is the veil ever lifted in your experience? Yeah. Great question. Really, really great question. I've certainly not seen that for genuine reasons. A narcissist works on getting what we call narcissistic supply. And that supply is to soothe their wounds. And, and, Again, one of the things I teach in my narcissistic trauma-informed coaching certification is around empathy. So I personally don't agree with the medicalization of narcissistic personality disorder. You know, in the DSM, the Diagnostical and Statistical Manual, which is obviously what mental health professionals use to diagnose narcissistic personality disorder, it lists nine traits of a narcissist. And if you have five or more, then you are classified as a narcissist, as narcissistic personality disorder number of issues there one you need to have a narcissist say 
hmm, I think I might be a narcissist. I need to go and get a diagnosis. Yeah, well, that very rarely happens for a start, okay? Um, and then the other thing is nine traits. I mean, I teach over 35 traits in my coaching certification. So, you know, just to have nine then can diminish again and get people questioning, well, you know, they've got three, so they can't be a narcissist then. So maybe it's me. Maybe there's something wrong with me with all of that. So for me, medicalizing it is almost excusing the behavior, so to speak. And we can't excuse the behavior we can still explain it so from that dsm perspective and i and you know and some people listening might agree with with that um as well it's just my opinion of this with the medicalization but going back to your question about is there that sort of chink they work on narcissistic supply now there has been research that medication can help sometimes with the managing and diminishing some of that abusive behavior but not to the extent where they can still be in a healthy relationship it manages kind of maybe some of the day-to-day -day stuff but not so that they can be in a healthy relationship um, as such normally what happens is if if it looks like there is a chink okay Normally, that is them showing a chink to gain narcissistic supply. They can also, you know, one of the um, traits listed in the DSM is that lack of empathy. Well, a narcissist can fake empathy. You know, there's three different types of empathy. And one of those is something called cognitive empathy. So front part of the brain stuff. So a narcissist can fake cognitive empathy to so to show that oh, I'm really, really sorry. I really didn't mean to do that. I don't mean to hurt you. But they're doing that very cognitively to get that narcissistic supply to get what they need to get their wound soothed and, and diminished with that so so again if i could see research around all of this i remember having a conversation with someone gosh a couple of years ago now and it was a, a really lovely lady and she said you know i work in the prison service and i work with lots and lots of narcissists and you you know they are they're they're healing they're they're being cured of this and i just said can i just ask you what happens to them when they show you that they are healing or they are being cured? And she said, well, often they can get released early. And I was like, okay, okay. So do you think then there's a good reason why they will want to portray themselves then as being healed? You know, and that's not because I'm a skeptic and I, I just want to castigate everybody. No, once you're an alpha, you know, genuinely, you know, if I genuinely thought there was an opportunity, absolutely, you know, I do sit in this from a place of compassion, but I have seen no evidence. I keep up to date with many, many research articles as well, you know, and again, that's not to say in the future, it may change. I don't know that, you know, because we see different brain activity in a narcissist as well with mirror neurons and things so maybe one day there will but a narcissist has these parts that are so strong so for me any chink that comes from it's to gain supply in something else you know i have people messaging me saying you know i think my husband's a narcissist but he's in therapy at the moment and he often comes back and he will say my therapist said to say this to you and i'm thinking well firstly no therapist would say that anyway as such you know but it, it's again it's so that they're gaining sympathy showing willing going to therapy and they're gaining even more supply by going to therapy then as well it's even more manipulation and control with that too so you know certainly not that i've seen Thank you. <laughs> I know there's always hope. Who knows one day with all of those things too. But certainly for me, I haven't seen that um, as such. 
it doesn't mean everybody's a narcissist either. And I think this is something to be really, really clear about, you know, because somebody could be exhibiting certain behaviors um, in relationships, you know, domestically abusive relationships here, you know, narcissistic abuse is domestic abuse. It's a form of domestic abuse, but it doesn't mean every domestic abuser is a narcissist you know because they can genuinely be childhood trauma why somebody is really really angry for instance and they are willing to work on themselves and look at those things but a narcissist won't do that it's it's a very different dynamic yeah brilliant i and feel like there needs to be at some point a narcissistics anonymous yes absolutely <laughs> there's always stuff in my group where they say we need like a list or something <laughs> things like that absolutely. i'm gonna be, i'm gonna be a bit controversial though and say that with a narcissistic anonymous isn't it that oh i've lost you oh we can still see oh, you. good okay sorry something flashed up on my phone on my laptop isn't it that a lot of people that get into relationships with narcissists might be going to other 12-step fellowships like CODA, etc. Absolutely, absolutely, because they have their own other parts of them, which could be addiction, codependency, you know, all of those things, because they are protected by distracting, soothing away from what those core wounds are. Absolutely. And I think the key is, if someone had said to me, say at the start of my relationship with my ex-husband don't stay with him he's a narcissist of course I'd have thought they were crazy because that's what my husband would have told me you know um my husband my ex-husband had been married before me and he's now married again and I'm really really good friends with my ex-husband's first wife and you know very very similar circumstances but I know had she told me something at the start I wouldn't have believed her because obviously I was you know being love bombed and magnetized by my ex-husband you know and he was you know, feeding into all of my own inner child wounds of not being good enough. You know, when I look back, I think, oh my God, Caroline, red flag, red flag. You know, my ex-husband got a tattoo with my name on three months into when we met. But at the time I was thinking, oh, he must really, really like me then. And of course, having an inner child wound of not feeling good enough, that was really soothing to that wound. Not like, oh my God, get out now, Caroline. <laughs> you know, Of course I can see that now, but at the time I, it was feeding into obviously all of my... Yeah. I'm well. going to ask the obvious question, but what's he done with the tattoo now? <laughs> he put it lasered off and stuff, but you can still see it as such with everything um, and all of that. So yeah, he's 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 got it, um, but it, he's kind of erased it a little oh, bit. Oh <laughs> I know, I know, I know. These little things amuse you still. Being, yeah, 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 yeah. They, they. They, they have to, don't they? Yes, absolutely. You've got to bring a bit of humour into this as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Always, always. So I'm wondering, after what Lou just mentioned and asked, if there is any truth to, we hear people say, I attract narcissists into my life all the time, whether that be in a romantic relationship, in a friendships, in even work colleagues. Is there truth to that? Are there certain people, certain traits in somebody that attract narcissists into their lives, do you think, Caroline? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting concept, this, because by nature of the wording we're using there, almost is shaming those that are then going into the relationships with a narcissist. 
I could attract a narcissist right now as well. You know, I could date a narcissist as such. The issue being is a narcissist probably after a few dates wouldn't want to carry on dating me because I'm not going to feed into what their wounds are, so to speak. Now, there is a pattern and, and sort of a magnet for a narcissist. And that really is somebody who is coming from a place of that lack of self to somebody who is coming from a place of not feeling good enough, feeling worthless, maybe feeling unlovable, not important, really needing needing somebody else to validate who they are, validate their sense of worth. A narcissist is very, very good at doing that at the start of a relationship. You know, they, they are masters of that. They really, really are. So of course, if you have a wound of I'm not good enough and you start dating someone or find yourself in a working relationship with somebody who is really kind of feeding into making you feel amazing and, oh, I've never felt like this before and, oh, I love you and, all of those magical things that somebody might say to you at the start of a relationship, that is just like feeding your hole in the soul to somebody who has an inner child wound of not feeling worthy. So of mm. course, then it's like, wow, this is like what I've been looking for. You know, this is amazing, so to speak. But of course, at some stage, the narcissist, because they're constantly seeking that supply, the moment you stop giving them supply and their behavior starts to change, you don't then see, because you've still got that core wound, you don't see their change in behavior then as, well, hold on, I was um, setting my boundaries there. That's why I'm doing that. You see their change of behavior as something you have done wrong, so you need to fix it. So that's why the sort of people-pleasing part of yourself might show up. Okay, I need to please the narcissist then in the hope that if I please, and this is what we call fawning as well as a trauma response, if I'm pleasing the narcissist, then surely their behavior will dial down then. And it might for a little bit, you know, we have this whole abuse cycle that happens, you know, we kind of get the love bombing and then there's a bit of a discard because you might not do something that they want you to do or something happens. And then it gets to the stage where you're just trying to please them again. And if it's enough supply, then everything goes to be nice again. And then the cycle starts again, really. And you're stuck in this cycle. And the more that keeps happening as well, this is where trauma bonding starts to occur too. You know, we start secreting these chemicals from our brain, you know, things like oxytocin and dopamine. And then we have the cortisol and the norepinephrine production. And we get really addicted to that cycle of chemicals in our body. So it ends up feeling very familiar in a relationship with somebody like this and the thought of going it's like you're going to come off drugs almost it's like no and it becomes safer to stay because and this is why again and this is not even just for narcissistic relationships for any domestically abusive relationship there can be a lot of judgment with people that if you see somebody in a, an abusive relationship of course in society our natural instinct is to say well just leave them you know get out you know they're not healthy get out and then we see people continually staying in these relationships and a lot of judgment can happen in society with that. We, you know, people can judge others for staying when we can all see it's an abusive relationship. But what happens is we, if we're not trauma informed, we don't recognize that that person staying in that abusive relationship is because it actually feels safer to stay in the relationship than leave. The mm -hmm. thought of leaving for them and having no relationship, nobody, to kind of soothe their wounds feels even more dangerous and scary than staying and getting at least some breadcrumbs, even if it's from an abuser, that to their system feels like it is safer, you know, and that's why we can't judge because if 
you know, well-meaning, good intention, friends and family start to try and say, well, just leave, let's go. And then they stay that actually perpetuates even more their wounds because not only are they in that relationship and they kind of know it's still not a good relationship, they're not doing what you say to themselves. Oh my God, I'm even more worthless. I'm not even listening to them. And what happens is they isolate themselves even more and retreat even more, which is exactly Mm. what an abuser wants. They want you to be isolated so that they can continually have you give them supply with all of that as well so we can't judge people who's people need to feel that it's safer to leave and also leaving a relationship like this you know most murders and homicides happen in the first seven days when someone leaves an abusive relationship so we have to be really mindful about this as well and not just encourage people just leave and go you know it, it has to be with support it has to feel safer to leave we have to set up strategies and safety elements and safety nets for people with that too what was occurring to me as you were just talking there Caroline is it's a bit like saying to an alcoholic just stop drinking yeah absolutely and again because I see everything as parts now as well judgment is a part of the person so if you often have well-meaning family members judging just leave then and then they don't a family member can start to get cross and angry sometimes again another of their parts because on some level they have a wound of this is my friend this is my family member they aren't leaving I'm not doing a good enough job I'm not a good enough mother father sister brother friend that's their own wounds then coming up so they have a judgment part coming up they still don't leave. So they'll have an anger part coming up again, all with good intentions for that individual to distract from their wound. I'm not a good enough friend, family member as well, because we have no bad parts of us. This is what I love about IFS. It's a real non-shaming therapy. Um, There are no bad parts to us. You know, the addiction part, the self-harming part, the dissociative part, eating disorder part, emotional eating part, anger. There are no bad parts of us. All of our protective parts that show up for us always have loving, good intentions for us to distract us away from what our system thinks would be too painful. But sometimes they can be very destructive parts as well. But they but they still feel like those parts. Well, it's still better than you feeling like that. Is that five year old then? We're not going there. And that's where that trauma then trapped in the body because those parts are coming up, not really protecting you as the adult you are today. It's protecting you as that five year old, the 10 year old, the 15 year old. And that's why when we say that those traumatic memories are literally trapped in the fascia in your body as well. And that's why when we're working to heal trauma or obviously the trauma of narcissistic abuse as well, we have to go back. That's why the power to heal isn't in changing the narcissist. You know, that's what I thought at the start. You know, I wanted him to say sorry. I wanted him to recognize all of that. I wanted him to change to make my world better. And of course, that was never going to happen. And then I realized the power to heal is actually within me. That's why I tend to talk about narcissistic abuse more as narcissistic trauma. I don't like the word victim as such. I always say victimized by a narcissist. I'm very mindful of the wording that I use to empower people who've been in these situations. Yes, by nature of the dictionary, we are victims, but I want to empower people to know the power to not feel how you are or be in these relationships is actually within you. So the narcissist is the abuser. We can't change that ever. You know, the abuse that you have had, we can't change. The narcissist, we can't change. The trauma isn't the narcissist. The trauma is what you say to yourself about the narcissist behavior. I'm not good enough. I'm unworthy. That's what we can work on. Where did that come from? Let's work on that so that then 
when the narcissist doesn't change. I don't have those protector parts coming up then like dissociation, going and eating a full cake, drinking a bottle of wine, whatever that may be, because I don't, when their behavior then isn't activating a core wound then, I don't need those parts to distract me away. I'm an adult, I'm in this present moment right now, as opposed to the parts coming up, protecting my seven-year-old little girl not feeling good enough. Yeah, makes total sense to me. So for anybody listening that has been through narcissistic abuse or is in a relationship or even is maybe struggling with seeing themselves as parts, seeing, you know, the protector parts and the wound or as, you know, I often say the not okay child or the wounded child and the adapted child, which would kind of be managers and firefighters I think in IFS yeah so the parts that keep us away how do you work with people and what would you recommend them to do to actually be able to get to the exile parts through the other parts to be able to sit with their trauma or metabolize it or discharge it because I don't know about you but I often find that's the hardest bit of the work it is. And, and I think you have to go at your own nervous system's pace with all of this. I know we all want to heal yesterday. And the first thing to remember is healing is not a destination. It is a journey. You know, I'm still healing. I will for the rest of my life. We just yeah. go and deeper all of the time and you know I'm aware parts of me still crop up from time to time as well of course we're all human beings and yeah. stuff and I think it's about that nervous system flexibility really and that then becomes the non-shaming element of all of this too and I think you know what I love about IFS so whenever I work with clients we get to know what parts of them are showing up in a non-shaming way because yeah. sometimes if we rush in and this is why I love IFS too if you rush in and work on the wound straight away those protective parts are like, whoa, no thanks, no, no, no. Floods the system, shuts down completely. You often see dissociation as a really strong protective part normally in those who've been victimized by a narcissist. You know, shut down, too much, go, stop. So, you know, it has to be in a very titrated way, getting to know all of those protective parts, getting the parts on board to then go in. So how I work with my clients very much is we get to know all of the parts, we get permission from those parts to then go in and work on the exile. But I use a combination of brain spotting and somatic experiencing for this. So we brain spot the parts, we work in the body. So we slow everything down and we really get to know the system um, with that too and then we obviously work on that exile that inner child wound and it doesn't mean we change what's happened to that person you know and this can be from things like childhood abuse neglect you know unemotional parents whatever that may be what we work on is changing the experience of that person's event so which is sort of the reconsolidation of memory really so that you know when they can then in the present remember as opposed to relive with the parts coming up all of the time as well so and, and again there's no time frame with any of that and I get you know for me to say this it's like well you've got to work with somebody on a one-to-one or do a program or something and you know that's what I believe obviously is the best for people to be able to do to be guided through all of this but as a starting point with all of that is just really start to get to know what parts of you are showing up recognize there are no bad parts of you and let's start looking at ourselves with compassion of what amazing human beings we are that 
actually, however we are showing up on a day-to-day basis is exactly how our brain and body wants us to be, thinking it's the safest and the least amount of pain. That doesn't mean we're not in pain. It just means our system thinks we're in less pain than something else. But normally the something else is from things from our childhood predominantly, and that's where our system has been stuck. So I think the initial point is a lot of compassion to ourselves, knowing that there are no bad parts. And really, as a starting point, really a lot of mindfulness work, keeping in the front part of the brain as as opposed to going into sort of limbic system brainstem where we're really activated and triggered, and just really working on calming our nervous system a little bit like that. You know, time sadly doesn't heal narcissistic abuse. We do have to work in the body at some stage because otherwise what will happen is you'll just keep on living your life and then someone will trigger that core wound again and up pop the parts um, as well. So, you know, it's not just a case of saying I've left the narcissist or I've blocked the narcissist or whether it be mother, father, partner or anybody. If we don't work on that root cause at some stage, You know, you might have five years where you're around wonderful, loving people and no one's activating that core wound. That moment someone comes along again, the wound is still there if you're not working on it and really getting to that root cause at some stage. Yeah, yeah. And Caroline, I know you use EMDR as well. Do you find that helpful for people? It is. It is really, really helpful as well. I think for me, I just find when I'm working with my clients, I do use EMDR. I tend to use EMDR more from an attachment focus perspective, um, using sort of bilateral tapping to calm the system. So the tools element of all of that with nurturing figures and stuff and peaceful safe place um, and that for me what works really really well is using ifs with brain spotting and somatic experiencing that from sort of a one-to-one basis and then in my programs that i kind of give people the tools because you can self brain spot as well so i teach people how to self brain spot in a very titrated way with this as well so that they can you know find their parts get to know what their nervous system is doing for me nervous system education is really key to all of this because it really helps lift that guilt and shame of why we're reacting and feeling you know when I had this sort of real anger part coming up you know as a grown woman I'm I shouldn't be angry and rageful you know like this banshee so to speak you know and so I would repress all of that but repressing that obviously that cortisol in my body would lead to disease and illness that's why many people in my groups and who I work with have got things like fibromyalgia thyroid issues adrenal fatigue burnout you know because our body is flooded with cortisol all of the time long beyond where there is actual danger anymore as well so I think you know it's that combination of nervous system education the right tools mapping your parts then working deep and getting to know them and then working on that inner child wound and then I bring in a lot of positive psychology of well how do you live your best self then and that comes from reparenting that that inner child and then having those tools of because it's very easy for people to say we all know what we don't want right when we come out of these relationships I don't want this I don't want that. I don't want this. And it's a really hard question to say, well, actually, what do you want then? And it's like, oh, I don't know that. I just know I know what I don't want. So it's really, you know, understanding that that life that you want, that you may not even know you want is all available. You know, if you would said this to me 10 years ago, I probably punched you and said, no, it isn't. (laughs) So I wouldn't have believed it at the time. But we do have something in positive psychology called post-traumatic growth, which is actually, you know, finding strength in your struggle, you know, even more growth after the trauma that you've had. And I absolutely know, and this is where I am really grateful to my ex-husband as such, that actually he kind of woke me up. You know, he was just highlighting all of the inner child wounds that were already there. 
So actually what he did was that, yeah, and you know, it was painful, absolutely. But he really made me go deep within myself and really look at what was already there to come out the other side. So the things that I do now, and, you know, I know what's important in that, you know, and, and of course I, I, I get to do what I love every single day and that's talk about this and help people yeah. so that they can come beyond and live their best life as well. Amazing. Amazing. And if people want to find out more about you, Caroline, and what you're doing, what are you up to at the moment? What, what, are, what are your plans? Okay, well, I've got a healing program that runs all of the time called my Narcissistic Trauma Recovery Program. It's a really low cost healing program um, with that. Um, I teach people to coach in this space as well, or as an integrated trauma-informed coach, because again, I know we were talking about this before, there's only so much you can do as one person in this world um, as well. And again, narcissism is very misunderstood. And I hope the way that I teach it with the cohorts that I have is, you know, with compassion and understanding, with science. So it, it really, I hope, encompasses everything thing so that we can talk with knowledge and compassion so even if someone says no 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 because it can be quite you know divisive around all of this I'm not going to get triggered by that if people you know at the end of the day people will feel and and know what they want to know but for me I want to help those who have been victimized so you know but again they can people can come and find me on Instagram or Facebook and you know they'll see what I'm up to and everything there as well lovely well, we'll put all the links below as well in the group. And I'm sure Mel and I would love to have you back. And isn't there a book out by Richard Schwartz now that says no bad parts? He's got a number of books, you know, his IFS stuff. And he has got a book called No Bad Parts. Yeah, which I love. I just think it's such a non-shaming way when we look at that, you know, and then you know, there's many other books out there like this, you know, it's not a case of, you know, what's wrong with you, because often we judge people with the presentation when they're blended with a protector part. So we're looking at that and saying, you know, what's wrong with you, as opposed to, well, what happened to you for that part to be showing up, yeah. you know, and I think it's a much more compassionate place to see people, you know, if I see people like that, see it in the online space, see it in lots of places, you know, I never judge them. That's my stuff. If I do that, I just get curious coming from a place of self-leadership and think, well, where's that coming from? You know, because that's not who they are. That's not the essence of their true self. They've got a part showing up there for a reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Won't it be amazing when everybody is trauma informed and can see uh, the world like that? Absolutely. But yeah, yeah maybe one day. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do our bit one at a time. Hey, <laughs> Exactly. Now, thank you so much. And Thrivers, I hope you've really enjoyed it tonight and got lots of gems from Caroline, which we, we have definitely. And we'll be back soon. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. I hope it helped you in some way. And I really hope to see you back here soon. If you have anything to share on today's experience or podcast, please nip over to the YouTube channel or the Facebook group Trauma Thrivers and let us know there.